0: morning we come third in our series on glorifying God and we're thinking about how this impacts in our daily lives. First of all we considered: is God that glorious? Is he worth it? If we're to live for him man's chief end as the catechism puts it is to glorify God. Is he that glorious? Yes we saw he is astonishingly glorious and that his glory is most majestically seen, most movingly seen, most powerfully seen in the coming of Jesus Christ and in his sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection to rescue us from the damnation we deserve. Where in all of imagination or world religion do you find such a God? How could you have invented it? Then we considered, because the Catechism also says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We considered last week this enjoying of God. How are we to enjoy him? And we saw that over and over again, this truth is underlying in the Bible. And this morning we, we want to think about how do we glorify God? How does this give purpose to everything that we do? And there are lots of passages we could have looked at But as I worked through different passages, uh, two came very much to the front. One was the verse we looked at with the children, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that's where I want us to start. And there's four things I want us to see uh, this morning. First of all, they're doing all For his glory. All the emphasis is on the word all, doing all for his glory. Paul Paul's writing to these Christians and he says, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. But as we saw with the children, he starts before that and says, Whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Even how we eat or drink can be done in such a way that brings glory or uh, dishonor to God. And that the situation that Paul's speaking about is in Corinth, where, as I said earlier, the, there's this debate going on about whether they can eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Some Christians are saying, oh, it's fine. Other Christians are saying, oh, I'm not sure. And then they're offended by these Christians who seem to be trampling in God's honor by eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And they're being led into doubt and query and, and, and judgment on the Christians that are doing it and these Christians that are dealing with it are judging those who aren't doing saying would you ever wise up You know, and you can see how it's going to tear the church apart and so Paul he quotes their phrase back at them everything is permissible he says ah but look not everything is beneficial no one should seek their own good but the good of others so Paul says, remember the second great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Think about the other person here and how they see it. But then he says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And what he does there is he takes the second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, and he wraps it inside the first great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbour as yourself he wraps one inside the other and in doing so he's saying to us that look even your most ordinary actions can impact the people around you and display God's glory and honour in a positive way or bring dishonour to him negatively and Paul won't have it. He won't have this squabble. Imagine, I think it's out of hand, and you've got the first church of Corinth, and the second church of Corinth, the people that go to the meat market, and the people that don't go to the meat market, and there's this scorning and ridiculing going on between them, and the pagans around about are saying, what is going on with these Christians? thought they were meant to love one another. And God's name is dishonoured amongst the Gentiles because of it. Well, say, no, it's not happening. I love what he does because he takes the ordinary issue of what's on your table and on your plate and he frames that ordinary issue or wraps it up with an extraordinary purpose. With an extraordinary purpose. This very simple issue of food, even how we eat and drink, and everything else, all can be done in a way that either adds to or subtracts from God's glory. Oh. Everything we do. We'll consider in a moment some of the everything. Think about it and I'll put four three questions on the sheet. What does this mean for us? Do I want God to look good in all that I do? Ask yourself that. As if you're a Christian this morning, you carry the name of Christ with you. You're known as Christ's. People, do I want Christ to look good in all that I do? Second question, do I want God's cause to be advanced by all I do? Whether we're going about our work, whether we're picking kids up from school, whether we're starting a new course, whatever it is we're doing, do I want God's cause to be advanced by it? That gives us purpose. Whatever you do, do it all to God's glory. Third question Do I want God's values to be upheld in all I do? As far as I can, all around me, I would like God's values to be upheld in all I do. The world doesn't give tuppence for God's values. Will we give tuppence for them? Will we stand for them? One writer. Uh, one of the Puritans, a the man called Thomas Watson uh, said that we were to be tender of God's glory or sensitive to God's glory and he explains what he means he says when we hear God reproached it is as if we were reproached when God's glory suffers it is as if we suffer this is to be tender of God's glory so do all for his glory We're to be like mobile advertising signs. Those little flatbed trucks with the the two billboards back to back on them, and they drive around or they park up on a lay by or a field. Um, We're to be mobile advertising signs. Or as Paul puts it earlier in Corinthians, he says, We are the aroma of Christ. We're to spread everywhere the aroma of Christ. What sort of smell? you leave behind? What sort of a Roman? As a Christian do you leave behind? So does that not mean that we should get up in the morning and ask for help and say, Lord, would you help me to glorify you today? You give me that privilege. You know, this isn't simply for Christians. This is for every single human being, actually. I find it interesting and intriguing how Paul describes sin in Romans. Uh, chapter 3 he says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God every human being is made to be a display of God's glory if we've come to Christ we've started out in the right way and we still need to keep displaying God's glory but if we haven't come to Christ we are still required to display God's glory and our failing to do that is the very heart of our sin All things exist to bring God's glory, to bring glory to God. And yet, if you every single one of us falls short of that. And it's only with Christ's help and with Christ's forgiveness that we can approach this aim that God has given to us. And yet if we haven't come to Christ, we're guilty and we need to go to Him so that we can be forgiven and so that we can have our life changed. In a sense, the person who hasn't come to Christ is like a little firefly dancing with the sun behind him going, look at me, how bright I am. Aren't I amazing with my fiery brightness? sun there, shining in all his majestic glory. The firefly going, look at me, look at me and all the light that I've got. It's ridiculous. Firefly needs to do is to turn around and bow to this, the, the, the sun and say, You are majestic, and you are the one that actually enables me to, to have light at all. And so we need to stop seeking to get glory for ourselves and turn to the God who made us and ask forgiveness and ask Him to help us to display His glory in all that we do. That brings us then to our second verse, Romans uh, chapter 11, verse 36, uh, where we read um, that for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And we want to just take those three phrases and think about them. We'll spend most of our time on being, uh, the first one, from him. We are to do all things As his agents. We are to do all things as his agents. How do we do all things for Israel? First of all, hold in mind that you do everything as commissioned by God. For from him are all things. Who you are. Where you are. What you are. Why you are. Even when you are. When you live. All these things are from Him. He has made you, shaped you, placed you at this time, in these circumstances, because He has a role for you, and you are to display His glory. You have been cut and shaped and placed like a a little mirror uh, on uh, one of those great solar arrays on one of the satellites that, that takes the sun's Rays and, and captures them and, and then uses them for uh, reflecting onto to provide, you know, power for whatever. All those little pieces of glass all are, are, are cut and placed, or like the, the lenses and the mirrors in a lighthouse, or each one is cut and shaped and placed precisely so the glory of the light of the lighthouse can be seen. If one's broken or missing, part of the glory of the light with all its life-saving qualities, will not be seen. And so you have been cut and shaped and placed by God uh, for this purpose, to bring glory to him. And that gives meaning and purpose to everything. And I wanted to take uh, these three areas, work, our struggles, and our connections, and just think about those for a moment this morning, to push this into the details of our lives. This gives purpose to our work, This gives purpose to our work in the medieval world. If you wanted to serve God, you took yourself off to a monastery, locked yourself away in some ways, uh, and you read and prayed and chanted uh, and then went out and did some good works out in the community, uh, and that was it. Martin Luther looked at this and thought, no, the Bible says whatever you do, you can do to the glory of God. Uh, And he said that the the housework may have no obvious appearance of holiness, yet those very household chores are more to be valued than all the works of monks and nuns. great. Household chores, more to be valued than all the works of monks and nuns. Why is that? Is he just sounding off against the religious establishment? No, it's because as he looked at God's word and saw the dignity that God invests in or, what we would call ordinary work, he saw it wasn't ordinary. Um, another writer writing about this, a man called Mike Reeves say, talking about Luther's view of work, said, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to give us our daily bread. And he does. But the normal way provided provides is not through manna appearing from heaven. Normally he does it through farmers, millers, and bakers. If I buy my daily bread from the supermarket, does that mean that God has not provided it? Should I be giving thanks to Walmart instead of God? Luther's answer is that God provides the bread through the farmer, the miller, the baker, the shop. Now here's Luther's phrase. We are co-creators with God. We are co-creators with God. And Luther would say that God milks the cows through the job or the vocation of the milkmaid. We see the milkmaid, but behind the milkmaid is the work of God. That's fantastic. Does that not change how we see our role in life? Think of your work. What you do, it's from God. It's from him. You're his agent in doing this. You mums, God feeds your children through you. It's as if he's in the kitchen and you're his hands. God raises your children. You're in partnership with God. You dads, God is governing and ruling your home through you. You are co-regents with God in your home. Not that you have equal authority, but you you're ruling under him as his vice regent or vice president. Farmers, fishermen. God puts food on our tables through your work. I That's fantastic. The painter, God beautifies The home through you. Luther talks about the street sweeper. God's sweeping the street through the street sweeper. And what's happening there is that God is bringing blessing and well being to the community. God is at work bringing blessing to the community through the streets being tidy, through homes being beautiful. We bring blessing. We're God's co-creators, not simply in the the provision of the essentials of life, but through other aspects of life that bring a rich generosity of blessing into our lives. Those of you who bake. God feeds his people. Not his people, God feeds people and brings joy to people through you. The happiness that comes through eating cake. God created such a variety of tastes and flavors in this world. And those of you who bake and cook, you're bringing the majesty of God's creation to our palates, to our taste buds. You're co creators with God. You nurses. God could step in and bring miracles to bring healing. Instead, He has orchestrated us and given us a role, given you a role to play in the care and the restoration of people. You engineers constructing, fabricating, making things that help our lives run smoothly, that build roads from here to there to get us from A to B more quickly. That you, musicians, God and aid God's agents in entertaining us by bringing us joy, He has made us to appreciate music. We don't get to appreciate the richness of how he's made our ears, of how he's crafted sound, unless we've got musicians. God plays to our ears through you. You students, you're studying so that you can be God's agents in this world. Young people at school or college, you are God's apprentices. uh, Learning to identify the gifts that he has put in you so that you can be his agents in this world. You gardeners. Bringing food to us. Planting flowers to show the rich variety of God's palette of colors. You're showing us the richness of our God. It brings glory to our God. Does that not change how you see your work? How you do your work? You're God's designated, delegated Workman, work woman, in that circumstance. You've received a commission from him. He sends you out each day. You don't simply do what you do because you do it, but because God has given you it to do, given it to you to do. That doesn't mean you can never change. There's freedom to do that. But we are God's servant wherever we end up. So that should change how we see what we do. That's why we read from Colossians 3. That's why Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. And if we're not employed or we're retired, whatever you do, do it as to the Lord. Our days are not our own. Each is given for a moment of serving our Father in heaven. Are you doing your work in a way that recognises that God is your boss? Secondly, this gives purpose to our struggles. We've thought about this before. Let's think about it again. These come not as accidents, but from a sovereign and loving hand of our Father. It's from Him. It's from Him. He's entrusted them to us to be the circumstance in which we are to be the fragrance of Christ or to change imagery God has called us to be a lighthouse on a stormy shore so that others can see the glory of God that he can be trusted so that as they're going through those storms they can find a way to safety you know it's not a lot of use if a ship's lost at sea and smashes on rocks and you say well why is there no lighthouse here at these rocks and the the lighthouse commission says "Well, well what were you doing there I know you shouldn't have been there you know you need a lighthouse at a place of danger a place of difficulty and so God places his people at times in places of difficulty to be a lighthouse to others who find themselves there and so that gives us purpose and not only Is your persistent, trusting, glorifying God on an earthly scene? But we'll think in a moment too how in the angelic realm, God and his angels are seeing. The the angels are watching and seeing you persevering and saying, Look, look, they're living for our God. They're glorifying him. Look at God sustaining them. Isn't that amazing? What a God you are. And they worship and glorify God because of what they see in us. This gives purpose to our struggles. And this gives purpose to our friendships, to our connections. Why do you know the people you know? For from him are all things. Why do those neighbours, those people in the office, why that job uh, at the mart, Uh, why the job you have, why are you getting to know those parents? I forgot to mention office workers earlier. You know, office workers—they bring order. Uh, to you know—they bring all sorts. Of, they bring order to our, our lives by sending out letters, by organizing appointments. They bring help to people with different difficulties. You know, they're serving God. They're bringing blessing. But why? Why in that office? Why those people you work with? Because God has placed you amongst the people. He has placed you because you're to be His mobile advertising holding amongst them. So as we get up in the morning we should pray Lord help me to glorify you today in how I go about my business amongst the people I meet with the problems I have. Will we pray that way? Will we pray that way for opportunities for the right or for the light Of God's glory to radiate from us into the lives of others. It gives purpose to the connections that we have with people. Doing all as his agents. Being his hands working. Being his voice speaking. Being his fragrance, the aroma of Christ. Amongst those who are perishing. Now how do we do this? We do it in his strength. Because we can't do it ourselves. I can't do it myself. You can't do it yourselves. But our verse goes on to say. For from him and through him. Are all things through him. We know from the Psalms. That unless the Lord build a house. the will labour in vain. Jesus says that without me. You can do nothing. But with him, Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 1. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. We're not, we shouldn't, although we often do, try to do it in our own strength. And we try to do it in our own strength to get tired and weary and we can get resentful of God. As if he's not helping us. We're maybe not looking to him for help. We're just plodding on doing it ourselves. Or we can become proud. As if look at me and all that I've done. We need to keep looking to him for strength. Getting up each day. And saying Lord I want to glorify you today. And what I'm doing. How I'm speaking. How I'm struggling. Will you give me strength? Give me strength to do it. Give me strength. Christ isn't glorified when Christians become proud of how well they're doing or they become frustrated or resentful of God at just having to plod on. I need to look to him for strength. And it's promised over and over again. I think I've put on the sheet that verse from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will that he may work in us what is pleasing to him equip you with everything good for his will for doing his will strength is available it is through him that we can glorify him and lastly doing all under his gaze from him and through him and to him are all things to him What does that mean? I've tried to capture it with this heading. Doing all under his gaze. And I don't mean the gaze of a quality control inspector. As if God is is watching your life. With a tick chart. Like the driving examiner. Uh, Minor fault. Major fault. Fail. um, Not good enough. No. Need a retest. That's not how he's checking our lives. He's looking at our lives as a father looks. With pleasure and delight. You know. A father looks at his child's scribbles in a different way than the art critic looks at Michelangelo's work. A father looks at the scribbles. He's he sees the effort that the child is making, how the child is seeking to do their best, and he's filled with joy. You have that sort of a father. What you do is to him. He sees the intentions of your heart when no one else does He sees the work that no one else sees. He sees you bite your tongue when no one else sees it. He sees you hold back your frustration when no one else does. He sees the readiness to serve that wasn't needed. You go to help somebody to do the Christian thing, but they didn't need it done. You know, It's been done. Somebody else came to help and you think, oh, right, oh, well so much for that. What's the point? There is a point. Your Father in heaven sees and he's delighted. You're working away at something. You're doing it well instead of doing the job half. You do it completely. Your Father in heaven sees. Or it's one of those jobs that as soon as it's done it needs to be started all over again and nobody sees or seems to notice. But you have an audience of one. One. Live for an audience of one. The one who sees. The one who takes pleasure in your work. Remember uh, last year we, we, we looked at living under the lordship of Christ. And we noticed that over and over again the Bible uses this phrase. For it pleases the Lord. And we saw that that actually does mean that it gives him pleasure. It pleases him. It pleases him. Watch out for that principle. He is the one who sees his child living for him as if no one else is watching and when no one else is watching but there's more than that as I hinted at and said a moment ago you have an audience of millions not simply people because you could be living in a dark room, you could be in solitary confinement, kidnapped uh, or in hospital bed uh, locked away and you could be living for God and have an audience of millions the angels this isn't, this isn't sort of some sort of um, mark going off in wild poetic fancy scripture speaks of how the angels watch how they long to look into these things we live before them as they see how we trust our father how we serve him how we live for him. So you have an audience of one and you have an audience of millions. Do everything from him as from him as through him and as to him so that all things are for his glory. And that takes the ordinary stuff that we do and it wraps it in the extraordinary framework and purpose of God's goal for our lives whoever we are wherever we are whatever our lives are we live with this extraordinary purpose of bringing glory to God now will we get up tomorrow morning and pray Lord grant me the privilege of bringing glory to you today my work my connections and my struggles. Give me the strength and let me bring glory to you. Amen. Let's stand as we come to God in prayer. Oh Lord God, we are dust. We are lower than dust. We are dust that rebels and shakes its tiny dusty fist at you, the creator. And that you would rescue us is wondrous. That you would give us this purpose of glorifying you and being your agents, your ambassadors, your servants. That you would give our ordinary lives an extraordinary purpose. That even as we go about the ordinariness of our day-to-day lives and going about our work, going about our driving, going about washing the dishes, going about our studies at school, going about not reacting whenever people provoke us, going about watching our language amongst people who would think it cool if we used different language. All of these things, Lord, we thank you that we live under the gaze of our Father in heaven who is delighted by our living to glorify you. And we thank you that we have an audience also of millions Who value what we do despite the audience of millions around us who don't value what we do. And so Lord God help us to get up each day with the determination to seek your help. To live for your glory. And let us us see as the lighthouse owner sometimes sees. Life saved by his very being there. Let us see that. That our shining is not in vain. Help us to be the aroma of Christ. An aroma of life. To those who are perishing. Father we ask it in Jesus name. Amen.